0: 10-5, he's into the end zone, touchdown Arkansas State! Deflected into the hands of Phelps, Avery for three, hits! Cover is safe, the Red Wolves have walked it off! Welcome to the Second to None Podcast, the A-State Podcast, presented by Simmons Bank, now. Here's a couple of guys who know the Red Wolves like no one else. Matt Stoltz and Brad Boba. Coming up a little bit later on, we'll talk about some of the news last week as far as the A-State football team. The schedule came out, at least for the first three games of the season. We have game times now. We'll Mm -hmm. talk about that a little bit later on. Also, Four student-athletes from the A-State track and field teams competing in Austin this week at the NCAA Outdoor Championships. We'll get you ready for that as well. But right now, we want to welcome in a very special guest. We've been waiting for the last couple of months to find a good time to get him in, but he's been too darn busy on the road to come in here and and that's a good thing it's a state men's basketball coach brian hodson how you doing coach
1: i'm good thanks for having me and i i actually had a little bit of time here and there but i wasn't willing to hop on a podcast so this roster was finalized so uh (laughs) i I want to make sure i got the job done first so but now we've had a successful couple months so i'm excited to be here with y'all today
2: hang on i'm gonna right off the top i'm busting up the format because i gotta get this out of the way before we get all serious you went through this process Everything you do, you get named the head coach, you go all the way through the your press conference and your first day on the job and you let everybody call you by the wrong name.
1: To be honest with you, it's one of those deals where I think I said it wrong for the first ten years of my life. But uh no Really? The, you, know, you said Hodgson. The G's silent and it's one of those things you'll spend more time correcting people than just tell I, I just go with it you know hodson hodgson whatever most people make it sound the same anyways so but yeah the g's silent it's hodgson
2: and that's sort of what i expect you to say because i mean 99 people out of 100 are going to read that and say it's hodgson so at what point did you say screw it i'm, I'm done correcting people
1: a long time ago, yeah. uh, because for some reason, I actually spend more time telling people that it's not Hodgson. Somehow people love to just throw a random E in there. <laughs> it, it, it blows my mind. Um, if you go back and listen to games all the way back, you know, Buffalo, Alabama, I, I think it's pronounced Hodgson on TV more than anything, which is kind of mind blowing to me. All right.
0: Adding letters to it. We need to subtract
1: Yes, G. we're
2: taking letters away and not adding. So it Which, is. But it's really not going to do any favors since the sports anchor here is Chris Hudgison. That's really not going to no, help. No, that's, that's cause not going to help.
1: No, that's definitely not going to
0: help. All right. Well, later on, I, I do want to talk about the first couple of months on the job, but I do want to start just giving people a chance to kind of get to know you and your story a little bit. And you are a product of the foster care system. I know you're a big advocate for the foster care system. How has that help shape you as as the person that you are?
1: It's everything to me. I think as people get to know me throughout my time here, it's probably the most important thing in my life. So um, I was born to a teenage mother. She gave birth to me at 15 years old, and I was placed into the foster care system at uh, just over one years old and was, was later adopted by the Hodson family. And so as much as we joke about my last name, it's something that is very important to me. You know, we talk about Parents and, and my, my parents are everything. I wouldn't be sitting here with you guys, right? You know, today without the support that they've given me, and I'll, I'll tell you what it takes special people to take a child into their home that they didn't birth and uh, raise them as if they did and love them as if they did. So, shout out to my mom and dad. They're the best people walking this earth, and hopefully, y'all get a chance to meet them. But I'm very involved in foster care, helping just at-risk youth in general. Spent time as a as a teacher at a uh, group home juvenile detention uh, center setting and, and it was probably the most rewarding three years of my life some of the most stressful three years of my life because I was also coaching junior college basketball at the time but I really try to um, spend as much time as I can just giving back because I know without the support that was provided to me at that young age I, I just I wouldn't be sitting with you here today so uh, I plan to be heavily involved in all that stuff here in Jonesboro I think I hired a staff that also shares the same values that I do coach Jamie and when we were together at the university of buffalo we both joined the big brothers big sisters program um, we're both still involved in that i've had littles in both tuscaloosa and buffalo and jamie had a little in buffalo and something we plan on doing here but you'll see us get heavily involved in the community and, and give give back to the the kids here as much as we can so
2: when did you find out i mean i was you're not going to remember it so like how old were you when you learn all this
1: part of that, I'll be honest with you, you're right and you're wrong to a point, right? You think back like, well, kids don't remember stuff from when they're one or two years old. And so I don't remember some of the trauma. And and uh, if you read my story, it's a little bit more than what I just said, but I think you do remember some traumatic experiences from life and also some good experiences. So I probably remember back to like specific experiences back to, I, honestly, like three, four years old. I remember, and I don't know how, but I remember my parents, my my adopted parents, Larry and Rebecca Hodson, sitting asking me, I remember it like it was yesterday. I was standing in the entryway between our dining room and our kitchen, and uh, they asked me what I wanted my name to be because I was actually born branded Kramer was my actual birth name my name given at birth brandon david kramer and so when they went to adopt me you know i had the opportunity for a new name and i usually don't tell this story this is one of the embarrassing stories a mom tells but they sat me down and they said you know we're adopting and uh, you have a chance to change your name here and uh, back then my favorite show and, and both of you hopefully everybody all, all y'all should remember this show there was a very very popular cartoon named the pound puppies And I wanted my name uh, to be changed to Bright Eyes Hodson. And uh, my mom told me that wasn't an option. So um, we we settled with, we took that BR from Bright Eyes and we ended up with Brian. So, but I remember that. I remember, you know, my parents, and and it it wasn't just me. They had taken in over a hundred foster children in their time as foster parents. And, you know, people out there, I don't think understand fostering children is not a lucrative business, right? My parents, they were taking kids in emergency situations where they'd get dropped off on a Friday night because there was nowhere else for them to go and they'd get picked back up on a Sunday. There was times where there was 18 people in our household. And it was one of those things where my mother just wouldn't say no. She always wanted to help. I don't think my father had a choice even if he wanted to say no. Uh, My mom was in charge there. So I remember some of those experiences growing up, you know, five, six, seven years old. I I remember some of the children that came through that I considered my siblings. They spent a year with us or six months with us, and those were my my siblings. And so it was such a rewarding experience. And and to parlay that into coaching, I really believe it helped me understand a lot of different walks of life.
0: And And, we're going to get into recruiting. Yeah. But— just building relationships, I have to imagine with, with a house full of new kids coming in all the time, that had to do you know, just a world of good for you as far as your ability to develop relationships.
1: Yeah, it was huge. I, I To be honest with you, I think by the time I was 13 years old, I'd seen it all. I mean, you name it. We had, gosh, I, I'd have to get the exact number from my mother, but I mean, dozens of kids come through and, uh, from all different walks of life and all different experiences and traumatic experiences and just learning to, to live with them and understand them. And I mean, they were my siblings. I mean, that's how my parents treated them. And so I think it, it really helps in recruiting. I think you go into a home and, uh, I, I'll be honest with you, there's not much that a, a recruiter, a parent's going to say to me that I, I, I can't understand, to be honest with you. And I think it's helped. And I like to consider myself a people person. And so I, I think it's It's definitely, the entire experience definitely shaped who I am today as a person and as a coach.
2: I know it's how you got there, but still yet, they gave you their last name. So beyond that, were you always okay with it? Did you always like all these other kids coming and going?
1: I mean, there was times where it was frustrating, for sure. Christmas, all of a sudden the presents are getting spread out between (laughs) 16 people instead of, you know, I'm thinking, man, I should be getting more. But they're they're buying for everybody, Um, uh, you know, but no, I I was. I enjoyed it. I think the experience was so rewarding to see the love that my my mother, my father and their biological children gave to everybody that came through that home. I think is just something that it was just a priceless experience.
0: When did basketball enter the picture?
1: So the house I grew up on in a small little town in, in Bolivar, New York, I lived there until seventh grade. It's in the southern tier. Uh, it's about 25, 30-minute drive from St. Bonaventure University in the, in the A-10. And my oldest brother, Garrett, was probably one of the smartest people I've ever met in my life. I look up to him in in a lot of ways. He was valedictorian of his class, went on a full academic scholarship to St. Bonaventure University. And there's a large age gap between him and I. And and so I was young then, but I took a a liking to St. Bonaventure basketball because it was the connection to me and my big brother. And he, being the great person that he is, would pick me up on Saturday mornings and would take me to Saint Bonaventure basketball games. So then I would go home and we had a hoop in that in that driveway behind our house and I was probably the only kid in America, probably some other kids in that Southern Tier region, but I wasn't pretending that I was Michael Jordan or Shaquille O'Neal. I was in the driveway uh, pretending to be Tim Wynn and and Shandu McNeil, who were the big-time players on that St. Bonaventure basketball team. And so I really developed a love for it then. My brother in in his dorm lived on the same floor as a couple of those guys. He had a seven-footer from Denmark that lived right down the hall from him, and I thought that was the coolest thing in the world. It kind of sparked my love for basketball, and then it just kind of spiraled from there.
0: You used basketball to get into college eventually. You played a couple of years at Jamestown Community College, is that right? That's right. When did you realize that maybe coaching was the way you wanted to go?
1: To be honest with you, I had an idea in high school. I wasn't even close to our best player. I started, I think, by default. I, I think I was six five, even going into like the tenth grade. So, unfortunately, when you're at a at a high school like that, and you're six five, and you're the tallest kid in the team, uh, by default, I was the center. So I've been a center since about the uh, fifth grade. <laughs> at uh, six foot five, all those coaches stunted my development, or else I'd be in the NBA right now. They didn't turn me into a six five point guard. They made me a six five center. But no, in all seriousness, I always felt like a Coach on the floor. I just felt like I always thought the game and enjoyed the coaching aspect of it. I was always extremely close with my coaches, but it really kinda of spiraled when I when I got to Jamestown Community College as a player. Our assistant coach at the time, a guy by the name of George Sisson, uh, funny, he's actually got connections here to Arkansas. He left Jamestown Community College after my freshman season to come be the general manager of the Northwest Arkansas Naturals minor league baseball team. Okay, And so he left and came here. But the time I was with him, I would always, you know, we would drive vans to our games. And uh, I would always ride shotgun with him and the rest of the players, you know, they always wanted to be in the back, but I would ride up front with him. And I would literally if he probably drove him nuts. But if it was a three hour trip, I picked his brain about coaching for three hours about how to get into the business, you know, recruiting. And even as a player at Jamestown Community College, I think I made this joke to someone when I was speaking at an event here a couple months ago. I recruited a kid who basically came in and took my position. So (laughs) I I wanted to win, and my head coach, Mike Cordovano, who's one of my mentors and closest friends to this day, he kind of let me go out, and I I was a local kid on the team. I'm from Jamestown, and so he would bring guys in in the summer, and I'd be the only guy around because the rest of our team was from New York City. And so he'd let me kind of be the host on the visits. And we had a, a big 6'10 kid come in. And I'm the one that convinced him to come to Jamestown Community College. And long story short, he's the one that ended up playing over me. But I wanted to win. I enjoyed the recruitment process of it. And I, I fell in love with it then. And, and it's, it hasn't changed since.
2: I know you said those coaches that made you play center kept you out of the NBA. But strange chance they kept you out of the NFL?
1: You know, I get the question when I'm, you know, I walk through the airport, I got, you know, I'm wearing the Arkansas State gear even Alabama. I get the question more often than not, well, you must be on the football staff. Are you one of the <laughs> new football coaches? You look like you should be coaching offensive line. I know, I know. Our coaching's uh, put a few pounds on me. I was a lot thinner back then. I'll show you a picture when we get off. But I played at about 6'5", 235, and I, I am not 235 right now. But, you know, I did play football for a little while, but – any of you that know anything about Western New York, the idea of playing games in, uh, in late November when uh, with wind chill, it gets below zero was not my cup of tea. I wanted to be in the gym. So I switched over to basketball and and, and it was my love. I mean, I, I never turned back.
0: You spent a couple of years as a volunteer student assistant and then got your first full time job. But that was back at Jamestown, right?
1: Yeah, so, well, you say (laughs) full-time. So I was a volunteer student assistant at Fredonia State for Kevin Moore. I'll always be grateful to him. He gave me my first opportunity. He's a great basketball coach, and we're still extremely close. And then I had the opportunity when I left Fredonia, uh, Coach Cordovano, the head coach at Jamestown Community College, who I played for, asked me to come back and be his assistant. It was part-time. I believe it was $2,400 a year. But what really excited me was he gave me – the opportunity to do all the recruiting. And he was on the tail end of his career. I was a captain for him, and he knew it's what I wanted to do, and and he really... He really is the one that set the table for all this. He came in and, and said, uh, Brian, I'm, I want you to handle the recruiting. You've got a $600 recruiting budget. Go figure it out. <laughs> so uh, so I, I, what I would do, and it's funny, you know, and, and that's why I tell people, I, I really think everybody that's in this business should have to spend time at that level. I had a $600 recruiting budget, and we had enough athletic scholarship to basically scholarship about two and a half guys' tuition so we would break that up we'd give 500 here 800 here if it was our best player he might get 1500 in, in tuition scholarship so i would go plant myself in new york city for 2 3 weeks at a time and fill our roster and there's not many rules in junior college recruiting as far as live period, dead period. I mean, you can pretty much recruit whenever. So I would just go sit in New York City um, in June and, and go out to the parks and watch the summer games and, and basically build our roster within that two to three week period. And, and you know, we, we went over budget a little bit, but probably instead of spending 600 I think, you know, one year we probably spent like 750 uh, So we really pushed the envelope there. But um, but I really enjoyed that and I felt in love with the with the recruiting process.
2: I ask to know like you sort of comment about not want to be in the cold so you re- went inside to the gym but what's it like since they're watching those games at the park?
1: you know it, there's nothing like New York City basketball in the summer. I mean, if you have, if you're a basketball fan and you haven't experienced going to West Fourth Street, or going to Rucker Park, or going to Dykman in the summertime, to this day, I, I, we're not allowed. I wish I was. I, I do it every summer. It is basketball i mean that is basketball right there new york city many people consider it the mecca of basketball those summer tournaments in in new york city in the park is something that everybody that's a basketball fan should get to experience and it was i mean every day there is some kind of tournament going on in a park in new york city so if you're a basketball fan it's, it's quite the experience
0: so you spent three years in that role at Jamestown. And then you go to Midland College in West Texas. And did I read where you actually took less money than you were making at Jamestown?
1: Yeah. So while I was at Jamestown Community College, I mentioned earlier, I, I worked at a juvenile detention center at uh, a group home, the Gustavus Adolphus home. And so I would work there all day and was a teacher assistant, and then would leave there and go right to junior college practice at Jamestown, and they were only a mile from each other. Uh, so between the two, I was probably making sixteen, seventeen thousand dollars 17000 And so it's hard to take a pay cut from that, uh, but I did. So I took the job at Midland College for $0. Um, <laughs> so it, it, is, it, it was quite the pay cut. But it was one of those deals. Um, I consulted pretty much everybody I knew in the business at the time. And they said, if you really are serious about this and you want to move up in this business, this is something that you have to do.
0: And that's a hotbed for junior college basketball there in West Texas. And you and I were talking on the plane the other night. You mentioned that your staff was actually the staff that followed Coach McCaslin there at Midland
1: College, right? There was uh, two guys in between, short periods. Well, one of them was Ross Hodge. Hmm. Uh, who was also yeah. on staff here, so we didn't gr- we didn't actually d- directly follow Grant. Grant was there, and then Ross Hodge followed Grant, and then there was a one-year stint in between that y'all can Google for entertainment. But uh, uh, we followed up that guy. But, yeah, so Grant McCaslin and Ross Hodge were both extremely successful at Midland Junior College, and, and we followed them. But it is, it is, it still is one of the best leagues in the country. Uh, you talk about junior college basketball. I mean, we had five 6,000-seat arena, um, and it was competitive uh, back then before the NCAA standards changed for Division One it was a lot harder to qualify academically to come division one so junior college basketball was elite every team in our western texas league had power five guys on it so it was a competitive league and it it really kind of i learned a lot in that two years in midland
0: relationships are everything in this business and you've already kind of made mention of that but it was in midland where You got to know Bobby Hurley a little bit, right?
1: Yeah, so my second year at Midland, I went from the volunteer to the full-time assistant spot. That was the first big jump for me. I made $30,000, and boy, was I rich when you yeah. go from zero to 30 yeah. you know I was ready to go so in all seriousness you know I, I made the jump from the volunteer assistant to the full time assistant and uh, we went out and recruited a great roster we had three or four power five guys on that team and Bobby Hurley came out with Nate Oates and Levi Watkins who Levi's now at NC State University but they came out to recruit a couple of our guys Bobby was at the University of Buffalo at the time and we struck a, a, a relationship and uh, Bobby was recruiting a couple of our guys and ended up calling me shoot a couple weeks after he came out and wanted to hire me and told me he was going to give me some time to think about it. I told him, I don't need any time. I'm from (laughs) Western New York. (laughs) I want to be a division one coach. Sign me up. I'll be there yesterday. So long story short through that process and credit to Nate Oates. And it's, it's something that I, I took from him. Nate knew that I was going to come work there and Nate was already an assistant there. He was the associate head coach. Nate called me probably two, three, four times a day and just built a relationship with me. I mean, he was helping me through the whole transition, and and we got extremely close. And so long story short, Bobby, obviously they had success that year and went to the NCAA tournament. Bobby got the job at Arizona State. I was nervous. I was in limbo. I'd already resigned at Midland. You know, Nate ended up getting the job at Buffalo. And to Nate's credit, you know, a, a loyalty factor there. We had built the relationship. Nate knew that the, the situation I was in. And uh, so Nate, Nate offered me a job as an assistant. And then obviously the rest is, is history.
2: It makes sense to me that, you and Bobby Hurley clicked because just a couple of point guards. Somebody That's right. That's right. You know,
1: I, yeah, I, I was a big, I, a little bigger point guard than Bobby, but uh, <laughs> but no, we, you know, Bobby's Bobby's a uh, small circle guy. He's a great guy. I've gotten to know him, um, and, and to be honest with you, as much as Nate Oates has done for me, and in the last eight years, eight and a half years, Bobby was the head coach, and Bobby was the first one to say, "Hey, I'm going to hire you," and so always be loyal to that and appreciative of that for sure.
0: You talk about all the different levels you have been on, the junior college ranks. You go to Buffalo at a different level there. Obviously, you're Division One. then. Then you eventually go to Alabama and coach in the SEC. But you really have seen every level of, of the college basketball game.
1: Yeah, and I, I, I think it's one thing that shaped me. You know, from really the only level I haven't been to is Division Two. Mm-hmm. Uh, worked at a Division three in a Worked at uh, Division two junior college. Worked at, uh, obviously, Division One Junior College. Been an assistant at the mid-major level. Been an assistant at the SEC level. And so all of those experiences have shaped me to be prepared for a job like this. I talk to young guys that want to get in the business, and, you know, they, they want to skip steps. You know, and this is mm-hmm. not a, a business you can skip steps in. And I, I go back to the days where at Midland, one of the first things, you know, you take the job, one of the first things they ask you to do is get your CDL because you've you got to yeah. drive, you gotta yeah. drive the bus. And then, you know, we're making peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for pregame meal, and then we get back from a game at midnight, and you got to do the laundry to make sure everything's ready to go for the next day. So those things shape my experience and really, I think, help prepare me to go work for Nate. And then the last thing I'll say, you know, and, and I tell the young guys this, I thought I was ready to go work for Nate and Bobby. I thought I had this game figured out. And then I walked in there, and, and Nate's, Nate's one of the smartest people I've ever met, which is, I think it's, it's apparent he's been one of the most successful Division One basketball coaches over the last eight years. I wasn't ready. And so to Nate's credit, Nate really molded me and uh, was patient with me and, and taught me the game and, and taught me the ins and outs of, of what it takes at that level. And so I'll, I'll forever be grateful for that.
2: And what's the biggest way you weren't ready? Because I'm sure you're walking in here thinking basketball's basketball is basketball. So what's the number one thing you weren't ready for?
1: The detail. I think the um, the detail side of things from a scouting standpoint to uh, recruiting, uh, just the, the intricate details that are involved in every aspect of this business. You know, scouting at the junior college level is much different than at the, at the Division I level, uh, recruiting, uh, the academic standards, the recruiting competition, and just that Nate is a very detailed guy, which I think is why he's successful. And so he taught me kind of the biggest thing, I think, was all the answers are, are in the fine details.
0: Very successful at Buffalo. Then you make the move to Alabama, which is a school that traditionally – People don't think about basketball first when they hear about Alabama. So how were you and the rest of that staff able to turn that program into one of the best in all of college basketball?
1: Are we allowed to talk about the success of Alabama basketball here in the state of Arkansas?
0: Yes, we are. Okay, great. All right, here I, we are.
1: I said that I said something to somebody the other day. I was out at a friend's house the other day, and there was an Arkansas basketball fan there, and he didn't want to talk about it. But
2: uh, oh, you can talk all you want about you're it. Okay. You're no, in a safe we, place. We, you want to we, mention specific games going ahead? Wow,
1: oh, yeah, we, they, I can mention a few specific games. No, we we had a lot of success, and this and this is a big part of it. You're right. Alabama's not known as a basketball school. But if you go back and look at the history and tradition of Alabama basketball, in total championships, they're right behind Kentucky. And you would think, oh, Kentucky, man, the SEC, Kentucky's ran through the SEC. Alabama's right there. I mean, you think of the NBA players that have came out of Alabama. You know, Robert Ory, I think what's Robert got seven NBA championships. Yep. Uh, Latrell Spreewell. I mean, go down the line. So our big thing and Nate's big thing, and and I'll be honest with you, Nate probably doesn't talk about this much. There was other opportunities on the table of some programs that many may have considered more ready to go, ready to win basketball programs with a a history or tradition. And Nate really wanted to be at Alabama. And I really believed in Nate. And so I knew when he took that job that we were going to a place that we could win because Nate wouldn't have taken it otherwise. And I think that... People say that it's not a basketball school because of the unbelievable success that Alabama football's had. And they've got, in my opinion, the best football coach in the country. Uh, maybe ever, over there coaching that program across the street. And I think the best thing that Coach Oates did when he stepped on campus was walked over there and, and tried to see what he could learn from Nick Saban. When you take a guy that's won at that level and he's directly across the street from you, probably a good idea to go pick his brain. He's had a lot of success. And so we we did, and, and I'll tell you what, Nate's phrase after we won the SEC the first time, you know, they interviewed him on the floor in Nashville and I'll never forget it. They asked him something about a football school and You know, how do you win at a football school? He said, this isn't a football school. This is a championship school. You know, obviously, they've got a storied gymnastics program there, a storied softball program, the baseball programs, and the Super Regionals right now. So, But Nate came with the same mentality we had at Buffalo, the same game plan. We're going to outwork people. We're going to recruit guys that fit our system. And we did that, and we were able to have a lot of success.
0: When we play today, we win something bigger than ribbons or trophies. We win our tomorrows. Wherever we play, Wherever we fight, wherever we overcome odds, we're winning our way.
2: Simmons Bank is committed to supporting women athletes in the communities we serve and are proud to be an official sponsor of A-State Women's Athletics. Not just for a season, but for a winning future.
0: Seasons are short, but fierce is forever.
2: Simmons Bank member FDIC
0: continuing to visit with a state men's basketball coach Brian Hodson here on the second to none podcast presented by Simmons Bank you had mentioned that you were very happy at Alabama you also had chances to go other places why was Arkansas State the place you ultimately wanted to be
1: you hear the word alignment a lot you hear some words that are thrown around a lot in college athletics alignment culture some of those things in to me I took a deep dive into it here. I've followed this program for a little while because again we said earlier I followed up Grant McCaslin and Ross Hodge and those guys had success here. I've known Mike Scutero who's an assistant here. I've known him for a long time. He came in and recruited my guys when I was at Midland Junior College and right before I got there, he worked across the street at Odessa Junior College. And so I've kind of kept an eye on this program, you know, over the last Ten years, to be honest with you. And I always thought it was a place that was kind of a, a gold mine, to be honest with you. And I, I like the thought of a, a town this size where there's a university that when things are rolling, this place is going to support it. They're going to come out and everything kind of revolves around that university. And so on top of that, to have... Jeff Perranton here who I directly worked for for two years and then to have Butch Jones here who I built a relationship with at Alabama and saw the relationship that those two had and then I got to meet with our system president Dr. Chuck Welch and that kind of sealed the deal for me you talk about a guy that's all in on athletics we're fortunate. I mean, he's all in on athletics. I'm sure he's going to listen to this podcast the second it comes out, and he's texting me about recruiting as we're sitting (laughs) here, I'm sure. And uh, I mean, he is all in, and and that's a big deal to me. I wanted to be at a place that believes that we can win, and I wanted to be a place that there's alignment between the president, our chancellor, Dr. Todd Shields, is unbelievable. He wants to meet with every recruit. He texts me, how's recruiting going? I mean, the, the people here, they're excited, they're passionate, and they want to win, and they want help, and that's what makes a place special.
2: You, you described kind of what you're looking for in a college town. I mean, really, in that way, I, I know people are going to look at just the size of the school and think this doesn't make sense, but it, no, Jonesboro and Tuscaloosa aren't a lot different from each other in that regard, are they?
1: No, they're not. Town sizes is similar. Obviously, the University of Alabama is a lot bigger, but I mean, our enrollment size doesn't really have a ton to do with men's basketball, to be honest with you. So I think, uh, and I'll tell you what. When sports have success, when when athletic programs have success, one thing I've learned over the last eight years, enrollment goes up. Yep, people start. Mm-hmm. I, I promise you, go look at the numbers yep. this coming year, and go look at Florida Atlantic yep. and San Diego State's applications, and I bet you it went through the roof compared to years past, because people see them on TV. And they see him in the NCAA tournament. Then all of a sudden, man, I want to check out Florida Atlantic. And that's the way it works. Mm -hmm. So I went to a university, almost at Fredonia State's about 14,000 students, which is about what Arkansas State's at right now. And I really enjoyed my time at Fredonia State. I really enjoyed the intimacy between faculty and students. You know, we have a 16-to-1 faculty-to-student ratio here. That's a big deal for our guys. The faculty knows our guys. They know the demands of a student-athlete. And every ta- everything we've dealt with here, we've ran into people that want to help, and that's a big deal.
2: The other thing is Alabama's big school, but also a big athletics department, there's no way that you're going to know – Everybody in it. So what happened? That How did you and Coach Jones cross paths in the first place?
1: You'd be surprised. A lot, we, we just talked about alignment. There's alignment there, too. And people talk about Coach Saban a lot and, and uh, how detailed he is and his schedule's down to the minute, and it is. But he always made time for us. Basketball recruits, he met with almost all of them. He showed up to games. So we actually got to know the football staff pretty quick. Butch was always a guy that was supportive. As soon as we met, you know, we'd have a big win. I'd get a text from Butch Jones. And that meant a lot to me. So I I made a point, like I said, when Nate got there, Nate made a point to go over and meet those guys. And you've got guys across the street that are having success like that. You know, you should probably get to meet them and pick their brain. And, and I took the same approach. So I spent a lot of time with the, a lot of time with the assistants, uh, got to know most of the assistants and position coaches there and, and coordinators there and spent a lot of time with them and, and picked their brains. And uh, we were able to build good relationships.
0: You mentioned FAU and San Diego State. How much of a tool is that now, recruiting here at Arkansas State after seeing what they did and making their run to the Final Four? You know, it, it's, is that something you use?
1: Yeah, it is. I think not as much as a, a tool that we're going to sell in recruiting. There is some aspects of that that you can, you can use. But more so, I think the blueprint was put out to the public. Get old and stay old as far as roster. And, and we're kind of using the same approach. I mean, you want veteran guys This trans, with the transfer portal and, and everything that's going on with NIL. You want to try to keep veteran guys on your roster. And that doesn't mean we're not going to recruit high school kids. We are. But you want to have a good core veteran group that you can rely on. If you look at those at San Diego State, and I hate talking about them because we lost to them in the Sweet 16, but that was one of the toughest teams we had seen. We played UConn earlier in the year, and I walked away from that UConn game saying, this is the best team in college basketball. Mm -hmm. And when we're doing the scout on San Diego State, I'm telling our guys this is one of the oldest, most physical toughest groups that you're going to see all year and they were I know Dusty May over at Florida Atlantic well and if you look at what he did he built that program I mean it took a couple of years to get where he was and he built it and they did an unbelievable job and same thing at San Diego State I know coach Dutcher and and I know the staff over there and they've done an unbelievable job but I think what they did was they provided the blueprint to the rest of non-power five or group of six basketball programs.
0: And we saw it to some extent last year with Southern Miss in the Sun Belt. I mean, they they went from seven wins to 26 wins, and they did it in part by putting together the oldest roster in – All of college basketball, I think their average age was over 22 years old last year.
1: Yeah, they did a heck of a job. I I know Coach Ladner. Coach Ladner did a great job last year. He was in junior college at the same time I was. I was an assistant. He was the head coach uh, of a junior college in Mississippi and took a program, a junior college program, that didn't really have much of a basketball history and won a national championship. And he went out and got some New York City guys and pieced some things together. And all of a sudden, you've got a, a, a JUCO program out of Mississippi that didn't really win anything before he got there. He won a national championship. And so he had that blueprint and and I kind of paid attention to what he's done over the last couple of years. And he's he's done a great job.
2: So, uh, we're sort of to the recruiting portion of the conversation here, but just given where Division One is right now with the portal, how much now, how beneficial when it came to roster construction? You're talking get old, stay old, so that's about a two year turnaround, two year you know, roster flip. So how now, how beneficial is it to have been at the JUCO level as a D1 head coach in this day and age?
1: Extremely beneficial. I mean, you junior college, you only at a max have those guys for two years, and. For those that haven't coached junior college or don't know about junior college, all this transfer portal stuff that all these Division One coaches are complaining about right now, junior college guys have been dealing with that for 25 years. I mean, in junior college, if you're at one of the smaller junior colleges, it's you know a non-national JuCO, and you've got a kid that's 20 a game, see you later. The, the national JUCOs are coming in to get them. And that transfer portal has been full in effect in junior college for 25 years. So we dealt with that. I was fortunate enough to see both sides of it. When I was at Jamestown Community College, we lost our best players to the national JUCOs each year. A couple – were loyal and stayed with us. Then, when I got to Midland Junior College, we were poaching the best players from the small junior colleges each year, and that and that's just the way junior college basketball was. So, the transfer portal it may be new to this level; it's been going on at that level for as long as JUCO's been around. So, I, I just you hear a lot of complaints about it. It, it is unfortunate. Uh, some programs bring a guy in, they develop him. Maybe you know you hear the stories. Oh, we were his only Division One offer, and we developed him, and he had a lot of success here, and that that sucks. You know when you lose those guys but on the same token we're in a business where it's get with it or get lost and so i think that you have to take the approach where you've got to plan for it okay if we're gonna lose this guy let's we gotta go get the next one and that's just where we're at you're gonna sit around and complain and and get have 20 losses the next year and blame it on the guys that transferred out well then you're probably not gonna be in this business very long
0: you were hired on march 22nd first thing you had to do was Try to recruit the current roster, and we had several players that, between coaches, had gone into the portal. And uh, you were able to get all three of them out. Talking about Terrence Ford and Isaiah Nelson, who both had good true freshman seasons a year ago, and then Caleb Fields, a guy that has been here the last several years, and maybe the toughest point guard on the planet with everything he played through a year ago. But how important was it to get those three young men? To stay on campus.
1: It was really important. I've said this probably five times already, and I'm going to keep saying it to everybody' that'll listen. It tells you a lot about the people here in this community at that university and this program that those guys, there was no lofty promises there. I made phone calls, I introduced myself, told them my plans for this program, why I was coming here, why I was passionate about it, the type of staff that I was going to put together, and told them my background, and they wanted to come back here. And that doesn't happen often right now because the grass is always greener somewhere else. Yeah. You know, there was in conference schools beating down those guys' doors to try to get them to transfer. And they wanted to stay here at Arkansas State. I'll forever be thankful for those guys uh, believing in me. and But it also, it's a huge compliment to the athletic department at Arkansas State, the people, the, the professors, the, the people that treated them right since they've been here. Because coaching change or not, if they haven't been treated right since they stepped on this campus, then they would have just left. But they wanted to be here in Jonesboro, and that's a big deal.
0: Let's talk about some of the guys you've been able to bring in. And we can go one by one here. Uh, Laquille Hardnett from Buffalo. Obviously, this is a guy you already had a relationship with. So how's he going to help the team this year?
1: If you don't mind, before I get to the new guys, I know we talked about some of those guys that came out of the portal. I also want to mention Avery Feltz, Mm -hmm. his loyalty to this university, to this town. When I called him, he said, Coach, you don't have to sell me. I'm here. I'm not going in the portal. I'm staying here and then Julian Law and i think people will be extremely extremely excited when they get to see Julian Law play
0: he's a ball of energy i mean he, he's a guy that had some very good minutes a year ago, he did.
1: But you're going to see a guy right now that's full of confidence in playing basketball at a high level. His ten, the ten practices we had before summer, he he got better every single day. Isaiah Nelson got better every single day. So we've got a group of guys, a core group returning that, that's really going to help. And then to get into the new guys, to answer your question about LaQuill, you know, it, it's that old, you know, what we talked about earlier: get old, stay old. LaQuill's a a veteran guy. He's a six year guy who's going to graduate from the University of Buffalo and come play for us and he brings that blue collar mentality and that toughness that I want my team to be defined by and so he's going to kind of be the leader of that he's done it if you watched him play he'll take a charge he's going to dive on the floor he plays with that grit and energy that's contagious uh, so so he'll be a big addition to our front
0: court Tell us about DeAndre Dominguez, the UMass transfer.
1: DeAndre's a special talent. We are very fortunate to get DeAndre. You know, when his name was brought to my attention, everything we do, we take a deep dive uh, into our guys from a film standpoint, analytically, uh, probably more than you would realize. And we look at percentages on everything they do. Uh, and if you look at DeAndre Dominguez, so at la- last year at UMass, he played, I want to say just over 14 minutes. And in that time, he averaged nine points and four and a half rebounds. Hmm. So his per 40 numbers are through the roof. (laughs) I mean, you're talking 20 plus and 12, 13 rebounds. He's versatile. He can play the three, the four. You could play small ball five with him if you had to. He's a legitimate six foot nine, uh, 210, 215 pounds. He's a guy that. If I'm at the University of Alabama, I'm taking a hard look at. So we're very fortunate. He's a fantastic kid. He just finished UMass. Their classes go a little bit late, so they, their grades had to be in there on June 1st, and he passed all his classes, and he's fired up. He wanted to come here June 2nd. He, he, <laughs> he didn't want time off. He wanted to get to school. So we're, we're really, really excited about DeAndre.
2: So you had the guys you got out of the portal. You Both of the freshmen announced the day of your press conference. That's got everybody keyed up. And then you bring in these guys, and you already got enough equity. We're like, hey, if Coach thinks these guys can play, they can play. But then you get to kind of the next portion of the recruiting offseason, starting with Freddie Hicks, who you've said is a guy that somebody was asking you about essentially every time you turned around.
1: Yeah, I think they got the official hiring process done with me, made sure that I signed my name on the dotted line, and then immediately after, as soon as the pen left the paper, they said, well, you better go get Freddie Hicks. (laughs) So I, you know, I immediately start diving into who Freddie Hicks is, and I'm sitting there thinking, well, okay, great, you know, so, sounds good. Y'all better be ready to help me because this isn't going to be easy. Freddie is a special, special talent. I won't say the name of the university or the coach, but we're in the middle of scheduling right now, and uh, I call the coach who's looking to start a, a home and home series, and. I asked him if he would play us this year. He said, "Coach, I told myself last year that I don't ever want to play Freddie Hicks again. So the answer is no. And I, I, I just think that's the type of kid you're getting. Wow. Uh, you want to talk about tough? He played last year. We asked another coach during the recruitment process. We we do our homework. You know, we called five or six teams that they played against out of conference, and one guy said, "Coach, he kicked our butt with one hand. I mean, he had a broken hand. Freddie's tough. Again, physical." Six six can play multiple positions two three four, tough enough to play the five. To be honest with you, his versatility, his toughness, his his energy, his attitude are all the things you need in a guy to to help lead a team to to where we want to get to.
0: And he's from Cersei, and the storyline that everybody wants to talk about, and gosh, what a storyline! It will be, when your team goes to the NCAA tournament, the fact that his dad was on the tournament team back in 1999. Is that something that was a factor in, in Freddie coming here?
1: I think it was a factor, but I'll also note this. Obviously, his dad's career here and, and the success that he had, I think, helped us get in the door. There's no no question about that. Chico Fletcher was an unbelievable resource. Chico calls us all the time. You want to talk about a guy that loves this university and this men's basketball program? Chico Fletcher is one of those guys. Him and Freddie Hicks Sr. obviously close. And so those guys, you know, I'm, I'm talking to them. And what I learned quickly was Freddie Jr. wants to leave his own legacy. So it was great that his dad played here. Great that his dad won. But that wasn't going to be enough to get him here. And we learned quickly that Freddie wants to create his own legacy. He wants to be in a program where he thinks he can have a chance to play at the next level. And so I really think it was a a perfect storm for us. Obviously, his dad, him being a local kid, but also our style of play and the success that I've had with guys at his position. I think that combination made this opportunity unique for him. And, And so I think he's as excited as we are.
2: You mentioned a perfect storm. At this point, you, I mean, you kind of, you had one brewing, right? Everybody's already keyed up about the work you guys had done just as a staff and, and building the roster. Darian Ford enters the portal. And look, the talk is from everywhere. I mean, people who claim to be plugged in and yeah, that kid's going somewhere else in the SEC. They're after him. NIL, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Then at lunchtime one day, he tweets out, I'm headed to Arkansas State. How you pull that off? I'll
1: tell you what. When you get a chance to meet that young man, I think everybody that meets him will understand he's one of the most genuine people you ever meet in your life. And he loves the state of Arkansas. So I was actually on the West coast recruiting at the time and had a long conversation with his father. And his father said to me, I'm not making this decision. He, he's going to make this decision. And and so I get on the phone with him and we had a good conversation and I recruited him a little bit out of high school. And so we, we had a prior relationship, not that we were super close, but we knew of each other. Obviously he was a part of those two L's they took down there, one in Fayetteville and one in Tuscaloosa. So we talked about that a little bit, but in all seriousness, he was very clear about what he was looking for. I felt like we checked all those boxes. And the people that you were hearing from weren't necessarily wrong. I mean, the SEC was beating his door down. I mean, he he took official visits in the SEC. He had other other schools in the SEC trying to schedule official visits. And you want to talk about a loyal, honest, genuine young man, When when a school would call and talk about a visit, he would call me right after and say, Coach, I don't want you to hear from social media, but I'm going to go visit such and such. And every time, my heart would drop a little bit, you know, because I, I recruited in the SEC. So I know what some of those guys are like. So I,
0: I'd get a little How bit nervous. How common is that, though? I mean, that, that a player would would do you that courtesy?
1: Not very. Nowadays, you know, you find out more via Twitter and social media than you do directly from the kid. But that's who he is. He's a young man that's strong in his faith. He's big on trust and, and loyalty. And so every time I spoke to him, I, I fell a little bit more in love with him as a person and as a young man. And then he decided to, to make the trip to Jonesboro, and he drove himself up here. And it was a big deal from him. He's a little country boy from, from southern Arkansas. Magnolia. Yeah. And he told me, Coach, I don't think I've ever driven this far. Farthest, the, the longest trip I've made is Fayetteville. Outside of that, I don't, I don't drive much. But he made the trip by himself. Mom didn't come. Dad didn't come. Uncle didn't come. He came by himself, and that really backed up what his dad told me. You know, Darian's going to make this decision. And we spent a lot of time together on that visit, and I felt really good when he left. But then, shoot, by the time he left, another three weeks, month went by before he made his announcement. Uh, So I never felt great until he actually announced it. But he believes in what we want to do here. He believes in myself and our staff, and I think he's got this mentality That's I want to prove to people that I can win wherever I'm at.
2: So largely it became a, if you can't beat them, join them proposition
1: uh, yeah I'd, I'd think so I mean uh, you know we addressed that a little bit but no I, in, in all seriousness one other thing I want to say about Darren so we we did go down and beat Arkansas in Fayetteville this year and it was a good game and, and that place is a brutal place to play I mean they packed that place out and the fans are they know how to cheer at a basketball game I mean it gets loud in there you can't hear yourself thinking yeah. in Bud Walton arena and so and they did a great job and you know they battled through some injuries last year and, and still found their way and then somebody turned them in and they've had a, coach Musselman's had a lot of success but darian was really out of the rotation at that point so we beat him, and we ended up beating them pretty good i think double digits by the time it was said and done a lot of young kids who are top 100 kids they're at their in-state school they don't play you lose everybody's there tend to be embarrassed go in the locker room and sulk pack their bag go back to their room and complain to somebody Right. That's 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 kind of where we're at. Well, I go back to the to the locker room. We we address our team. I get changed and I come out on the court and Darian's on the court and Bud Walton Arena getting a full blown workout at 10 p.m. And that doesn't happen often because the fans were still in the building hmm. to a lot of kids. That would be embarrassing. Right. I didn't play. We just lost. And if you know Darian, that wasn't to get attention. Darian needed. He wanted to go in there and to get work because he, I wasn't on the floor. I'm not on the floor for a reason. I need to get myself there. He's one of the hardest-working young men I've been around and built a relationship with, and I think he's got a really, really bright future here.
0: You mentioned when we began this interview that you weren't going to come in here until the roster was complete. I know you had several visitors on campus this weekend. I don't know what you can tell us right now, but is the roster complete now?
1: I, uh <laughs> I think that, well, if you do the math, after one young man announced yesterday, and I can't say his name because he hasn't signed the a, signed a paperwork yet – but uh, one, one young man announced that he was coming yesterday, mm-hmm. uh, and that puts us at 12 scholarships. And you get 13. I'm not a mathematician, but we're supposed to get some special news today. So that would 12 plus 1 equals 13. That would make us done. So I'm excited about where we're at. I like um, your math. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm excited about where we're at. We were very You know, I I think there's some people in Jonesboro because I I, I, actually I don't think I know because they text me four times a week asking me if the roster is done. But I think some people were starting to get a little bit impatient, like, coach, who who are we going to you know, what are we going to get? Who do you got? We were very, very, very selective. You know, we wanted to build a roster that we thought could win in year one. And I think that we've got that.
2: So like your bread and butter, like when you hire, Yeah, you know, this guy is a recruiter and I, I, this, this, everywhere it goes, this guy gets players. And so you get to come in and write and you get to go to kind of your bread and butter right off the bat and just go, go, go and build a whole roster. So you're the most popular winless coach I've ever known about right now you got people all amped up so how anxious are you to, to get to the next part now the recruiting part for this you got this roster built now how anxious are you to get to the next thing and get these dudes on the floor
0: he says winless i say undefeated coach uh, yeah i like undefeated uh, both
1: I like undefeated and hope to keep it that way for a while. But uh, I think, you know, we haven't played a basketball game, but I think we've had a lot of victories here Mm -hmm. this spring and summer, starting with keeping those guys here and and, and some of the the, the guys that we've signed. But I'm fired up. I am absolutely fired up. Our guys report to campus this weekend, and uh, we'll get going with summer workouts at the beginning of next week and I can't wait I'm sure I won't sleep well this week because we really put together a roster not just of talented young men but guys that I want to be around and coach and that's that's important and people use the word recruiter a lot right and they've, they've I've been ranked this and ranked that and one you know I've signed some good players along the way but it's a big part of this job and I I'd like you to try to name a coach that you consider a great college basketball coach that didn't have good players. So it starts with that. The guys that I know are that are great college basketball coaches have really good players. The guys that people call bad coaches – usually don't have very good players so uh, it it starts with that so that was victory number one my staff did an unbelievable job I I can't thank them enough coach Tom Butters um, T Butters as we call him Jamie Quarles. we just announced our new assistant Derek Ronstadt today Drew Wilson and Logan Ingram they've done a phenomenal job official visits I mean just we're we're very in depth we do full analytic reports on each guy and so they've, they've worked their tail off for the last two months and their wives are probably mad at me but they're Rosters finalized now, so they can then can go home and have dinner with their wives at night, and not sit with me in the office till ten.
0: You know we've kind of joked about it the last couple of weeks on these caravan stops, but I know it's also true. The fact that after this recruiting class scheduling has become a little bit more difficult for you as far as the non conference goes.
1: People want to schedule wins, including myself. So it's yeah, we've had some guys back out on some contracts. I'm not going to throw anybody under the bus because. The contracts weren't signed so technically they weren't done but we had some people that had contracts sitting on their desk and that were really really excited to play Arkansas State a month and a half ago and then all of a sudden there's a conflict so you know which, which you know we we actually had a school call us and tell us well you know we we went to the we went to our conference meetings and you know they told us that we really need to focus on just playing power five teams and teams that had a net last year of of 150 and above so obviously Obviously, Arkansas State's net last year wasn't great, so we need to move in a different direction. All after we already had a date agreed upon, contract was agreed upon, I said, well, okay, that makes sense. Then, if that's what your conference wants to do, well, then the next day they posted on the scheduling board that they're looking for somebody with a 225 net or worse. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, that that somewhere along that doesn't add up to me. So, yeah. um, so I called them back, but I, I didn't get an answer. You didn't come say, hey, our net was lower. Yeah, than yeah, yeah I think it was like two. Yeah, it was a lot lower than that. So I, I did. I did call them back. Well, let me talk to let me talk to the boss. I, I've yet to get a call back. <laughs> and we had another guy call and just pull the game. They gave us about four different reasons. None of them made sense. But So we are. We're we're in the midst of trying to figure out our schedule. That's the next big task. We do have a couple contracts signed. We've got a couple games on the books that we're excited about. Our fan base will be excited about. We're bringing some quality opponents to Jonesboro. We're going to continue to do that. And one thing that I'm going to continue to stress, we're not going to play three non-Division 1 games. We're just not. I don't think it makes us better. I don't think it benefits the kids. I don't think it benefits our team. we may play one, we may open with one, a local team, and, and we may not even do that. I want to play as tough as a schedule as we can. So you're going to see multiple power five opponents on the schedule this year. And, and I ask our fans to bear with us in year one. We may have to go on the road quite a bit in, in the non-conference uh, because people don't want to come play us here. And so uh, as much as that can be a little bit frustrating, I ask that our fans bear with us. And we're going to try to get a couple home games here. We're working on it uh, left and right. We've do, we do have a couple on the books, but we're trying to get one or two more. But we'll, we'll be on the road quite a bit early on. But we'll be tested in that non-conference.
2: And there's no real, at this point, not a huge downside to... Getting that battle tested in the non conference because I know the league's addressing it. The league actually made pretty good strides in men's basketball last year, but it's not yet to the point of being a multi bid league. So you got to be playing your best when it comes time to go to Pensacola, period.
1: Yeah. And to me, this league is brutal. I mean, you're talking about 14 really good basketball teams. There's not a team on that sunbelt schedule that you're looking at, like, okay, we'll be okay tonight. And then, you know, we got to be ready to go on Saturday, though. There's not one on there. There's really good coaches in this league. So to me, the fact that this league is not getting a bid into the NIT even without being the conference championship is a crime. But it comes back to the scheduling portion. We need the rest of the teams in the Sun Belt to stop playing three non-Division One teams in their non-conference schedule. We, it just, you're, it's not going to happen. You're not going to get multi teams in the tournament. You're not going to get an extra bid into the NIT. Even it's not going to happen if teams in the Sun Belt are playing three non-Division One teams. And so that was a big topic of conversation at Sun Belt meetings and, and I hope other teams in this in this league start to go that direction and I, I can promise you we will and you know what, we may take a loss here and there. But one thing I learned from Nate Oates in my eight years with him, we scheduled as tough as we could every year and in the eight years I was with Nate Oates there was seven NCAA tournaments because one year it was canceled because of COVID we went to six of those seven tournaments. So there's a lot of value in being tested early on in the non-conference, being able to learn how to win on the road, which is a big deal, and then preparing your guys to win in a multi-game and win three games in three days. Because guess what? When you go to conference tournaments, when you go to the your postseason, you got to win a lot of games in a short period of time. So we're going to prep for all that in the non-conference.
0: I know we've covered a lot. I do want to give you an opportunity to talk about your camps coming up.
1: So we've got um, – couple camps coming up we've got a day camp and i think once you get to know myself and my staff that camp's it's not going to be a babysitting session. It's going to be an instructional camp where your kid will get better. The, the other side of that is your kid doesn't have to have a knowledge of basketball and doesn't have to be a great basketball player to sign up for that camp. We're accepting people with zero level of experience, and, and we want some good players there. But we promise your kid will get better. I'm going to be around myself every day. My staff is going to be coaching every day, and we really hope to make it a great experience for everybody. Registration's open online at coach Coach Brian Hodson, basketballcamps.com. If you send your child to camp, they'll come home with a great experience. We also do an elite camp, and then we do a parent-child camp. You know, mother-daughter, father-daughter, father-son, mother-son, whatever the case may be. It's always been a cool experience, those camps. And so Jeff Parenton has already signed up bringing both of his daughters to our parent-child camp. So come on in and join us for that one.
0: Are we leaving anything out here?
1: Yes, we are. Yep. I, I am still in search of a home. So, if there's I was going to ask you if you found a house yet. I have not. So if there's anybody out there that has a, a home that they're willing to sell, we're looking for a pool, a little bit of an entertainment area, feel free to, to call, uh, call Stoltz or Bobo and they'll relay the message to me. I'm not going to put my cell phone number out here on this. <laughs> call, call these guys or send me an email, but still looking for a home. So, But no, outside of that, I think uh, one thing that I want to promise everybody, we're, we're going to be in the community. Uh, myself, my staff, uh, we're all fired up about being here. We love Jonesboro. We love we love the university. If there's an event that you want us at, get a hold of us. We'll be there. We'll make sure we try to do as much as we can in this community because so far since I've been here, everybody's supported us at a, at a high level and we're going to do the same thing.
0: That's Brian Hodson joining us here on the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank. We've got more to come right after this. The Simmons Bank Card Alerts app lets you get more from your Simmons debit and credit cards Set transaction alerts to be notified of certain card activity and choose how you receive each alert. You can suspend your card, set a spend limit, or decline specific transaction types. You can even manage multiple cards. So get more control, more convenience, and more peace of mind with your Simmons Bank debit and credit cards. Learn more at SimmonsBank.com forward slash debit card. Simmons Bank, member FDIC. Man, thanks again to Coach Brian Hotson coming in. And I think we covered pretty much everything.
2: Yeah, we covered it all. You know, on the one hand, look, we understand kind of the the job that he had because in this day and age with the portal, you know, in basketball, a roster at size, but just in lot of sports, a coaching change, no matter why you made it, regardless of the circumstances, a lot of times going means in this day and age completely rebuilding a roster, you know, nearly yep. from scratch. And so you understand that that takes time. And so we waited patiently, more patiently than we've ever waited before. <laughs> But by George, when he got in that chair, we were going to ask everything we wanted to ask,
0: and we did. <laughs> there are other things uh, happening in the world of a state athletics. Do want to mention this? The game times are out for the first three football games of the season. The season opener at Oklahoma will kick off at 11 a.m. That's always our favorite start time on the road. Yeah, that is because. A good one. Uh, you're back at home at a decent hour.
2: Uh, how about being the first weekend of the season, and you're the lead into your game is College Game Day.
0: That's pretty neat. Straight from College Game Day to Norman, Oklahoma,
2: for which means they'll be doing the all Red those Bulls. look-ins and stuff during Game Day. They're obviously going to pump the game they've got. If we am you know, not sure. saying Game Day is going to be in Norman, but they're going to wherever they are. we be talking about the game in Norman,
0: without a doubt. And then the following week, it's the home opener against Memphis. Six o'clock, the kick time for that one. And then the following week, the second of three straight home games, another six o'clock kick against Stony Brook. Mm -hmm. Haven't announced the time for the conference opener the next week against Southern Miss, but that will be the the third game of that home stand to begin the year.
2: Yeah, and when you you get to a point where, like, at some point there's a, 12-day window right where tv or where the conference announces kick times but i don't mind telling you if tv doesn't move it that game's gonna be at six o'clock against southern sure that's no big secret but you have to wait till 12 days out to kind of see where the tv spots are and what the conference wants to do but looking forward to that it's crazy to think especially in my job now because like so much of your time is is spent kind of getting ready for the home football games right i mean they are the six biggest things you do and it's not that the others aren't but i mean they're you start your year with them and really just sort of set the tone for the year and it's crazy to think for all the time that goes into these half of them are going to be played in the span of 15 days yeah half the home schedule is getting played in 15 days
0: so during that 15 day stretch we really need you absolutely Other things going on. The Howl on Wheels Caravan has been a lot of fun to this point. We made a stop in Fayetteville last Tuesday, and the final stop as we record this on Monday is coming up tomorrow night, the day we release this podcast, Tuesday at the Bass Pro Shops at the Pyramid in Memphis. That's right and looking forward to that we were uh, walking out the door with coach hodson a few minutes ago and he said that hey he's bringing the whole staff out to that one
2: so hopefully you know what this will be is uh, with the location, there's a inside the the Bass Pro. There's a place called the Mississippi River Terrace, and that's what the actual space. So when you get in the Bass Pro, you're looking for the Mississippi River Terrace mm-hmm. for the caravan. But hopefully, that pulls in you know Memphis alums, anybody in West Tennessee, and maybe even you know, you know North Mississippi over there alums there. But even. Our side of the river. I'm hoping some Jonesboro people will hop over there because they can go to Bass Pro and you can shop and bowl and have a Wall Burger or whatever else you're wanting to do in there, and then catch the the caravan. So, Jonesboro people and, and everywhere, you know, I'm hoping Mary and Memphis, I hope in Marion, West we'll Memphis, hope a pull from a nice area for this final how long we'll stop in memphis
0: looking forward to seeing everybody out there and then a big week for those four student athletes that are going to austin for the ncaa outdoor championships there's 17 athletes from the Sun Belt that are going and four of them are from arkansas state good luck to imar palmasimo competing in the hammer throw at the National Championships, Bradley Gelmert will be in the pole vault. Paulina Meyer, who was in on the podcast a few weeks ago, competing uh, in the steeplechase. And another former guest of the podcast, Cameron Newton-Smith, will be competing in the heptathlon. And you know, for Cameron in particular, really excited for her. Obviously, well, I say obviously. Some people might not know just... Her bad luck when she gets yeah. to these national championships including back in indoor season when she was actually leading the national championships in the indoor and had to shut it down due to an injury
2: yeah it's been uh you heartbreaking and she and she talked about even that heck that was before the indoor one she was already in tears talking about her history at the national meet, you know, from COVID to everything else. So, man, really, whatever happens happens from a result standpoint. I just want this kid to get a chance to go out and compete healthy to her fullest, and we'll let the chips fall where they may.
0: Anything else we need to talk about here?
2: No, I, I think we're all right. I, uh,
0: <laughs> I think so, to think.
2: too. Yeah, I think we've covered a lot of ground. We have
0: thanks to our man mark taylor stepping up and setting up that interview with coach Hodgson. i know that he's been uh, attempting to get that interview for a while now
2: yeah i'll tell you this and we we can talk more about it and we i bet i have at some point on this but i can sometime again what coach was referencing in in fau and guarantee you know enrollment went up or whatever that's that's part of what we call the front porch yeah philosophy and uh, i'm a 100% Hundred percent believer in that the impact athletics can have on the entire university. So it was cool to hear him say that because I'm you know, a big believer in that myself. That it's not you know we're not just out there trying to put on a big show and win games just for the athletic department. It then feeds through the entire university, which the entire it then benefits the entire city in and, and northeast Arkansas area. So I mean it's we're all in this thing together.
0: Thanks again to Brian Hodson for coming in. Who knows who we'll have in here next week on our next edition of the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank.